Lord, in these next moments, I pray that your spirit would take the words of your word and um, give us not just inspiration, but transformation in our hearts, our minds, and our souls. In the name of Jesus. I want to state as fact um, something that I posed as a question last week as we continue to talk about biblical hope. That I believe that we, even as Christ followers, are living with more hopelessness than we realize. Last week I said, is it possible that maybe you're living with more hopelessness than you realize. I, and after having a week to think about it, I, I believe we all are. That we have become accustomed to living with resignation in places that we don't even recognize. That we have resigned ourselves to things where God wants to infuse hope. That the enemy of our souls, the accuser, has deceived us to accept less than the true hope that God offers to us. Those rivers of living water that we've talked about a number of weeks back, that, that refresh our soul, that come from our soul, that come from the Holy Spirit. That we, are, that we think we're living with hope because things in this earthly realm can mimic hope instead of having the true hope. So having said that, that lays uh, a big um, responsibility on my shoulders to identify what true hope is mm -hmm. and then lead us to live that way. Amen. Right? Amen. So the pressure's on. Um, so think for a moment about those things, as I said last week, the things that... Um, threaten to steal your hope or other people's hope. Those situations, those circumstances, those things that, that you run across that um, cause you to have angst instead of peace, to have fear instead of, of hope. What are those situations? Write them down, get, or at least get it firmly in your mind. Because what we're going to discover is that there are no exceptions to the hope that God offers to us. Amen. There's no situations, there's no circumstance, there's no outlier that says, yeah, you can have hope in all of this except for this. So let's talk about it. Getting to more and more of living true biblical hope. Number one, what hope is? Let's talk about what hope really, really is. I was really hoping that Ohio State would beat Michigan. <laughs> I was really hoping that my car would pass inspection. I'm hoping now that I can find a laptop that will have a battery that lasts more than an hour. Many of you were hoping that the Steelers would show up. <laughs> I hope there's some good food for the potluck. We use hope in a lot of different ways, don't we? 
But in each one of those statements that I just made, we could substitute the word wish. Because it's not really hope. Hope, we defined last week, is as an expectation of fulfilled desires. Hope is um, the ex- expectation that something's going to be different. Uh, circumstances are going to change. Somebody's going to show up. An expectation that something is going to, my desires will be fulfilled. Um, but that, but but in the earthly realm, it's much more about wishing. Spiritual or or biblical, true hope, is number one a person, a person. He, Jesus Christ, is our hope. Hope is a person, and so he's the hope of the ages. He's the hope of all mankind. It's a person. And secondly, it's living by the promises of God. Living by the promises of God. And this really hit me hard last week when I, when I was talking about this and, and recognizing that this true biblical hope is when we look to Jesus, the person, and when we rely upon what he said, because that does not disappoint us. That does not... Uh, frustrate us because it's anchored in truth. And so it's not wishing. And so when I'm watching the Ohio State game, I, there's no guarantees. There's no, um, there are no promises that I can hold on to. When I'm hoping that circumstances will go my way, there's no guarantee. There's no promise that goes with that. But when, when our hope is in Jesus, there's a guarantee because he is almighty God. He's perfect in every way. And his promises are always true. So true biblical hope, we can, we can uh, guarantee ourselves that our expectations will be fulfilled because God has said it, not because I just want it. Much more than wishing. So to add on to that, biblical hope then is lived in this earthly realm. So one of the acronyms that I use, earthly realm, heavenly realm. Earthly realm is what we can see, taste, touch, feel. It's lived in this arena. But it's based and anchored in the unseen. There's nothing that can be guaranteed to us in the earthly realm, right? The most sincere, powerful person can look at you and say, I guarantee you, I will always be with you. And then they could die of a heart attack within a minute. There are no guarantees in this earthly realm. No matter how well-intentioned a person might be or how much we plan, how many things we do right and we follow good and, and the principles of this world that are, that are supposed to lead us. Um, but in the heavenly realm, everything's guaranteed when we put our faith in Him. But because it's, it's based in the heavenly realm, lived in the earthly realm, it is hoping against hope. And I, I love this phrase. And so I put it there in the ESV, Romans 4, verse 18. It says, talking about Abraham, in hope he believed against hope. In other words, he put his hope in God as the person and God's promises, God's word, 
when it looked like in the earthly realm, it was crazy, stupid, insane to do so. Hoping in the heavenly realm against hope and all the evidence, all of the indicators in the earthly realm. That he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. And then I love the way the message, which is a paraphrase, puts it. When everything was hopeless, when everything was hopeless, you ever get to that place where it feels like in your life, pretty much everything, I mean, maybe not everything, but the big stuff, it feels hopeless. And it sees the circumstances look hopeless. Abraham believed Anyway, that's the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. When God comes to people and says, I want you to believe against hope. I want you to believe what I say is true, even when all of the evidence looks exactly the opposite. Deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. That's something to put on your refrigerator. Because we have to take our eyes off of this world and put our eyes on him. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verse 8. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verse 8. By faith, so we're going back to Abraham in the Old Testament, obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. So if we go back into the book of Genesis, we find God coming to Abraham and saying, leave everything that you know. Leave the pagan land that you're in. Leave your father's house. Leave everything and start walking to a place that I'll show you later. And so what did Abraham do? He believed God and he put his hope in him. And so one of the things is I've dug into hope a little bit. What I I discovered is hope and trust and faith and obedience are all intertwined that you can't really pull them apart. But hope was the expectation that what God had said, Abraham believed he would do. And so he went out not knowing where he was going. That's the way it is for me when I drive around places. (laughs) By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. He was given the promise that he would be the father of many nations and that he, he would send them to a land of promise, but he never received that promise. He, he was a nomad all of his life, but he believed God. Verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundation, whose designer and builder is God. Hope for Abraham was lived out in the earthly realm, but it was based in the heavenly realm. He was not looking for a city made with hands. He was looking for a city made by God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. 90 years old. Even when she was past the age, since 
she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, because neither one of them had the, had the physical human capacity to bear children, were, um, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. They were living out hope, obeying God, trusting Him, walking in the way that He wanted them to walk, but it was based in a God they couldn't see and promises that He had given. It's the same with us. Look at that last phrase. Acknowledge that they were strangers and exiles on earth. Our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is in the eternal. Our citizenship is in heaven, even though we're living here. And so our hope has to be based on Jesus, based on God, and based on his promises. That what he says is true and live with hope against hope. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. They could have gone back home if that's where their focus was. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. You might want to underline that and make that your goal. To desire a better country. Because... We live in such affluence and comfort that it's easy for the enemy to get us to put our focus in this world instead of the next. Am I right? And as a result, we don't experience the hope and the joy and the love and the peace and the contentment and the satisfaction that he offers to us as streams of living water flowing from us. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So here's the situation. God comes to Abraham, says, leave your land, leave your father's country, leave everything, and start walking, and I'll show you a land. Lives as a nomad. He's given a promise that he would have a child, an heir. He's 75 years old. It's 25 years from the promise to the fulfillment. 25 years of following God. Now, is it because God didn't know how to make a baby? No. Well, why would he wait 25 years? Because he was developing Abraham and Sarah. He was developing hope in them. He was developing faith in them. He was developing trust in them. So that 25 years later, the baby's born. About 12 or 13 years later, as the scripture is is referring back to, Isaac, his only son, his heir, the one through whom the promise would, would be fulfilled, that he would be the father of many nations. Abraham is so, has come to love him so much and treasure him so much that he's become his God. And God comes to him and says, I want you to take Isaac and I want you to sacrifice him. And because God had taken those 25 years to develop Abraham, to to put his trust in him, to put his hope in him, to 
be obedient to God, even when he was stumbling and falling, he was making progress to be obedient to him. When he came to him, Abraham didn't hesitate. And he took him up. Why? Here's, here's the key. Uh, verse 19. Abraham considered that God was, even, it was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So God had so developed this hope and trust and faith in Abraham that when he came and said, this son, the one that I told you was going to be the heir through whom was going to, he was going to be the father. That's the, that's the way you're going to be the father of many nations. There are no other options. It's going to be through Isaac. When God came to him and said, sacrifice him, he went to sacrificing because in his mind, he knew that God would fulfill the promise. And he thought he was going to have to kill Isaac and then God would raise him from the dead. And think about that as a parent. He believed that he could sacrifice, kill his only son, but that God would raise him back to life. Now, what kind of understanding do you have to have? That is hope against hope. That makes no sense, right? It makes no sense. Why would God say that? But he had such deep hope. There are times in your life when God will say to you to do things that make no sense, that make absolutely no sense. But if your hope is in God and his promises, you can trust what he says he will do. So Abraham knew. He, and in fact, as he's taking Isaac up the mountain, he says to the servant, the boy and I will be back. He's taking him up to the top of the mountain to sacrifice him. But he says to the servant, we will be back. Because he knew, hoping against hope. So what is hope? Hope is when we so fully put ourselves into the hands of God that we lean on his promises instead of what the world looks like or what the world says or what the circumstances dictate. We hold on to God. And, I, and so for the last months, I've been saying over and over again, there are no exemptions to Romans 8.28. We hold on to God. Romans 8.28, for we know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. In all things, we know that in all things, and just like there are areas of resignation rather than hope in our lives, I think for most of us, there are place, there are things where we think there are, these are the fine print that God, that doesn't, Romans 8.28 doesn't apply to that. Because this, this circumstance looks too bad. This relationship looks too awful. This, whatever it is, it's a, I just don't see how God could do it. If you could figure out how God's going to do everything, you'd be God. Right? So it's about hope. It's about trust. It's about just leaning into the promises that he's made. That's hope. And I want to challenge you to to, to lean into that and think more deeply about that as you face things. Because we live with a facsimile of hope, generally, instead of the real reality. Number two, well, how hope is lived. 
how hope is lived. So what is hope? How hope is lived. Believing loyalty is a phrase that Michael Heiser uses a lot about to describe what a true Christ follower is. Believing loyalty. Um, Believing who God is and then being absolutely loyal to God by our obedience and trust. And that's a key, and, and we'll be looking at that. I, but I just want to put that phrase in your head. Biblical hope comes as we experience that God is bigger. Biblical hope comes, is developed in us, as we experience that God is bigger. So God comes to Abraham, says, leave your land, take off, go to a place that I'll show you. And now for 25 years, he has this, these experiences where he sees that God is bigger. He faces difficulty. God is bigger. He faces struggle. God is bigger. He faces the fact that Sarah can't have any children, but God is bigger. God is bigger. God is bigger. Hope comes. Our, our loyalty to God, our, our full devotion to Him and following His promises comes as we experience God is bigger. Well, how do you experience that God is bigger? By facing circumstances where it feels hopeless. By facing circumstances where it feels like God isn't bigger. Did you get that? So when God wants to develop hope in you, he will arrange to have you in the middle of hopeless circumstances. Isn't that a joyful thought? (laughs) But that's so much of how life works. So when we say, God, give me more hope in you, for Abraham, it was it was situation after situation after situation where this is hopeless, this is hopeless, this is hopeless, this is hopeless. And then God shows up and he saw that God is bigger. And then God shows up, God is bigger, God is bigger, God is bigger. So if you are in a, hope, a, a, a situation that feels hopeless right now, God is trusting you to look to him, follow his promises, so that you experience he is bigger. How do you experience God is bigger if you don't ever experience something that you think is bigger than God? Mm-hmm. Right? It's not a lot of fun, but it's how it works. Romans chapter 5. Open your Bible there. Romans chapter 5. i got to hurry up. Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, that is, we've been reconciled by God, the Holy Spirit came to us, convicted us, we repented, and we came, and we've been reconciled to God. We have peace with God. We're reconciled with Him. We have peace with God through Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace, the favor of God. The grace is the favor of God in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. In hope, the expectation that God is bigger, the expectation that he is working and that his promises will be fulfilled. So that's where our joy comes from. And then he gets to the hard part. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And this is the picture of Abraham. And endurance produces character, the character of God, and character produces hope. 
how is hope lived out and developed? It's by facing hopeless situations. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Hope is lived out in hopeless situations as we experience God is bigger. Which brings us to number three, what hope delivers. Hope is a big deal. Hope is a big deal because we live in a hopeless world. Am I right? And, And out of hopelessness, the people around us are trying to feel better. They're pursuing things that will make them happy. They're pursuing things that we, they think will uh, bring satisfaction or at least medicate some of the pain and anxiety and angst and frustration that they experience. We live in a hostile world. As, as we talked about, when Jesus came, he came as a conqueror. He came into, uh, as an invasion because the enemy was in control of this world. And so people are still being led astray. We live in a hopeless world. It's a big deal. Look at verse 5 again. He says, That's a, you know, we, we, we develop hope by being put into hopeless situations, turning to God, believing on His promises, even if it takes 25 years as it did in, in Abraham's life, and then we have hope. We have the assurance of that expectation. Verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame. Some translations, it's disappointment. Hope does not disappoint us. In other words, shame is when we end up being wrong. Hope in God and his promises mean we're never wrong. It doesn't put us, when we put our hope in him, he always delivers. Usually not near as quickly as we want. (laughs) Amen? Amen? But if we endure, he says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit he has given to us. That living that true hope leads us to experiencing God as we long for. It leads us to his peace. Unless we put our hope in him and lean on his promises, we don't have that peace that transcends all understanding. Because it only comes as we align ourselves with him. This is the second week in a row. We are not going to get to 1 Peter chapter 1. In the wings. So um, as I was uh, preparing this message and and I was praying yesterday, I I got nudged to ask Sharon Burks to um, share what she shared in Learning Community on Friday about a situation that looked hopeless, but she chose hope instead. And so, Sharon, come on up. What's that? Yeah, 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 that's what I wanted. Good morning, everybody. Pastor Herb asked me to share my testimony. And I've got to be real because I answer to God for every word that I speak and every word I don't speak. So I'm going to give my testimony on testimony. So I'm going to keep it real. So when he asked me, to be honest, I told Nancy I had another commitment today. One of my teammates is struggling, and I told her that I was going to be there for her today. And all week long, God was playing 
this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. So when Pastor Herb called, and I said, oh, man, I've got another commitment. We were supposed to go make some candles today. And I played it back. I said, this little light of mine, oh, no, no, no. I've got to be in church. I cannot. So basically, I let her know that I would be there as soon as I could be there. And right now, I'm going to give God the glory. So... So I was also reminded of Hebrews 10, 23 and 25. Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves coming together. I had called my brother after Pastor Herb and I spoke. His name is Vance, and he is truly on fire for God. And when I started to tell him that my pastor that I love asked me to speak and I to take the opportunity to share for God to get the glory, I was embarrassed and ashamed that I actually hesitated. I wasn't going to give God the glory when he has brought me through so much. I felt silly and embarrassed. So especially after hearing that I was really, truly hesitating, I did. I hesitated. So I'm here to share what biblical hope is. Biblical hope is a person, and we are to rely on his promises, which are found in his word. Our circumstances do not determine our hope. It is in the nitty-gritty. God is in full control. Dr. Yu is a world... Oh, sorry. <laughs> Y'all know I'm a mess. I'm a hot mess. <laughs> sorry. Anyway, Dr. Yu is a world-renowned surgeon. He's a neurosurgeon. And he came in whenever I, they found the brain tumors, and he showed me on my MRI. This is a messed up picture, but you can see. I've got a big head, so you should be able to see it from way back there. So... <laughs> He showed me that there were not one, but two tumors or two masses in my brain. One was inoperable, and the other they would wait and see. We waited six months to see what, was going, you know, what, would, what it would do. And y'all, the Sunday before my appointment, I was sitting right where Mick is sitting. Well, unless we were up forward, but in that area. Nancy Seaman, who knows me so well, she could see and she judged that I was starting to get in the natural. I was getting a little nervous appointment's coming up, man, it's coming up. So she did what only a Christ follower would, would do. She rallied the troops together, and we went in that room, and we prayed. Pastor Herb, you missed it. You truly did. <laughs> so they prayed for me. And the feeling of that iron, sharpening iron type of support and love, being surrounded by my sisters, they reminded me that I had to believe and have hope on what the Lord says about my situation. So y'all, I was ready for my appointment. They armored me up with the armor of God. Thank you again, my prayer warriors. So when Dr. Yu came in on this appointment day, I wore this dress because it has the sleeves on it, but he came in and he had my chart and he literally just threw my chart down. He walked in, he looked at me and he's, He's losing weight, so his arms are like flapping around like a bird as he's talking. And he comes in, and he's all baffled, and he's walking around like this. And he's like, all he could do was just like, and his sleeves kept going. And I'm ADHD, so I'm watching his sleeves. So basically, oh, sorry. He said to me that they can't explain it. Not the fellows, not their textbooks, not the top AGH neurosurgeons. By his stripes, I am healed. Basically, what had happened was the one that was up 
the front of my brain, that one, he said that your body protected you. He said, your body, he said, you must have had a brain bleed from a car accident or from playing football. He said, but your body protected you. He said it encapsulated around the, the bleed in the brain. And he said, and we were able to see that. And he said, the one that's in the bum crack of your brain, the one that's inoperable, he said it oddly shaped like a football, which that gave them a laugh. He said, that one's unchanged. He said, there's nothing that we need to do other than watch it. So I said, Father God, thank you, glory. I was having a praise break in AGH Hospital because he, God is so good. He truly is. So with this in closing, I have another picture of my brain. This here is my brain. I, I do have a big head, I'm aware. Yes, this is it. And so now I call this not a tumor, but I call it my brain bling. <laughs> Y'all, we have to truth check the facts. And the facts are, yes, there are two masses on my brain. But my hope is in the truth, not the facts. And my hope is in the mighty word of God. Amen. This is what I stand on. Amen. And so as I was preparing this, what came, Nancy, on my chalkboard, I have written, be gradual and be consistent. And as I was praying and praising, what came to me was, we must be consistent and persistent and have explicit, which is clear with detail, leaving no room for doubt, obedience without compromise. Thank you, my church family, for praying for me. And remember, biblical hope is a person, and we are to rely on his promises, and they can only be found in his word. Amen. Amen. Wait, 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 wait. Wonderful, oh. wonderful. But I, I, uh, she left one thing out. Um, no, 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 it's okay. This is, this, I'm not criticizing at all. I just want to add to when, so when six months ago, when you first found out, what was your response? Do you remember? I remember standing back here when you were telling me about it. I well, remember what you said. response to the doctor? No, your, your oh. response to the situation. Oh, well, I was consoling the doctor because she kept telling me, you've got a brain, you've got a mass in your brain. And I said to her, okay, well, this didn't catch God by surprise. He already knew. Yeah. That's said, what I'm talking about. And I about. wasn't, it, it didn't hit me. I was just like, well, we just find out he will not have us without knowledge. God is a God that loves us. And so therefore, when she kept saying, in your brain, like I was slow. <laughs> okay, but it didn't catch God by surprise. And once I said God, and once I shared my faith with her, she calmed. And she was like, okay. Mm -hmm. And then she said, well, we think it's a meningioma. And I said, a mini ninja? Cool. <laughs> that's true. That's why I was like, a mini ninja? I can deal with that. She's like, that's a fun way to say it. Mini ninja. Mini ninja. So yeah, so my mini ninja and I walked out the emergency room, and here we are. Right. Yep. And so... So when she found out, this is, this, is, this is the hope. When she found out, she says, it didn't catch God by surprise. He knows it. And my hope is in him. Amen. And he knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you remember this. And, and if he's ready to take me home, Amen. then I'm ready to go. Yes. But it's because it's not about the circumstances. It's not about um, it, it turned out good. It's about it turned out the way that God wanted it, because Amen. you put your hope in Him. Yes, yes. Thank you, Father.
Yeah. Amen. And so that's hope. That's hope. Because sometimes this kind of stuff happens and it's time for us to go home and people die. That's, and, and, and we don't stand around going, oh, well, God must not have been powerful enough to do that. No, it's, we're in God's hands. Amen. The key was, I'm in God's hands. He didn't catch him by surprise. He knows what he's doing. But I also believe that he may not have worked as he did had her hope not been in him. Amen. Because he had a bigger purpose. And so now these doctors and all, you know, people are, are seeing a person who has a trust in God regardless of what happens and, mm-hmm. and now God worked and they can't explain it. Amen. Yeah. He said it's only and, God. And, I, and I've never heard butt crack of the bane before. <laughs> <laughs> With a mini ninja in there. <laughs> Thank you. Pastor. Thank you. Give it a step. Thank you. Abraham did not live forever. Anybody surprised? He lived the length of time God wanted him to. Sarah didn't live forever. It's not about the circumstances. It's about him. It's about what he wants to do in his timing. Hope is a person. And hope is leading into those promises. So would you bow your heads? The reason that Sharon could respond immediately with faith and hope in God six months ago is because she had been putting her faith and hope in God for years. And, and so every day is an opportunity for us to do that. As we've been talking, are there, is there a place where God is saying to you, you need to hope me, hope in me here? You need to put this. Are there places where you are living more resignation than hope? Because hope delivers peace and joy, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, rivers of living water that cause us to be able to live with that contentment and satisfaction a peace that transcends all understanding. Is there anything you need to give to him so that you can, he can replace hope with whatever it is you're living? Lord, I pray that you would reveal and guide so that deeper and stronger and broader and higher we are putting our hope in you and we are looking to your truth rather than the information or circumstances of this world. Your ways are so much higher than ours. Your thoughts are so much higher than ours. So I pray for each one of us that you would draw us to yourself, draw us into hope in ways that we don't even realize we need. God, we give you praise. We give you thanks. We give you honor. We give you ourselves. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.